What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet and the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Lisa, what are you drinking today? Uh, you know, a lot of people drink coffee in the morning, but I love the smell of coffee. I have never been able to stand the taste of coffee. And that's across the board, John. It's like coffee ice cream or wow. <laughs> coffee, if they make, you know, coffee treats. Um, I walk into a coffee shop, though, and I love it. And I study. I bring my laptop to a lot of coffee shops. I just don't drink coffee. I'll do tea. I'll do this Advocare product. It's called Spark. So this is I definitely do caffeine. Okay. But it's not coffee caffeine. Good, good, good. Because I okay, I totally understand the coffee thing. Uh, I, I never used to like coffee either. In fact, I always had a lot of milk in my coffee. Till one time, uh, a Wisconsin women's basketball player um, said, "You know, have you ever tried it just black?" I was like, "Oh, that sounds awful. Sounds disgusting." But I tried it, and I kind of got into it. But then I went away again. So I, I put a little bit of oat milk in mine. But I was going to say, you don't get cap. Do you get caffeine or what? Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely do caffeine. Uh, but with the, with the coffee thing, um, and I know this isn't a coffee podcast, but just to put a period, <laughs> just put a period on it. Um, I actually went out and got a coffee maker because I would have people and friends and family stay with me and they would get, so everybody's a coffee drinker, but me, and they would get so frustrated. Like, how could you not have a coffee maker or coffee? And they would always, you know, try to hunt down a coffee shop. And uh, so then finally I just broke down. So I actually made myself a cup of coffee with that coffee maker one time and I put it on Twitter and I totally got blasted for the, I mean, coffee is a very personal thing to people, I guess. And everyone was incredibly offended that I I wasn't a coffee drinker and that I was just trying coffee like late in my life. And (laughs) it was fascinating to me to see people's reactions to it. It's a very personal thing, John. It's weird because if, yeah, you're right. If someone says, Hey, no, I don't drink coffee. Everybody kind of looks at you funny. Like, Something, something's wrong. What's going on there? Um, but no, okay. But at least you're getting some sort of, I was going to ask, like, how do you even get a jolt? Like, how do you even kind of get going in the morning? Although I, I think I've kind of gotten to the point too, Lisa, where it just, the taste, I just kind of like the taste with the oat milk in there. And um, I don't even know if it does anything anymore, to be quite honest. <laughs> just It's a routine. <laughs> It's a routine for me. Uh, by the way, you can support this podcast with a small monthly donation um, to help sustain future episodes. That link is in the podcast description and also in the uh, episode description. And maybe if I get enough uh, support here, I can do something like leave a cool tip at a coffee shop the next time I'm buying a a coffee or something. But my guest today on the John Cast podcast is Lisa Byington. She's the play-by-play television announcer for the Milwaukee Bucks. So how has this transition been from, you know, doing the play-by-play that you were doing before and now going into the NBA full speed ahead. How has that been going for you? Well, I just, as we're doing this podcast, I just got back from a three game road trip and it was like six days and and three games. And it was wonderful. I really actually enjoyed being on the road and being around the team, being around the support staff and and they could see my face and I could get to know them. Like, who's this and what do they do? And, And what's their name again? And so it's all of that. I mean, regardless if you work in the NBA, like new job stuff, right? It's, it's all of that, no matter what industry you're in, whenever you go into a new job, it's, it's a little overwhelming in terms of just grasping 
um, directions, how you get from point A to point B, you know, who is who. And, and quite honestly, the Bucks have just been fantastic to work with. I just have really enjoyed them as a franchise. There's a reason why they're the world champions. They are a, legitimately a first-class franchise to work with. And, and I have done some NBA stuff. I have been around other professional athletes and other professional franchises, and they just, they just do it right is, is the first thing that I can say. Um, to your point about calling the NBA, John, I, I love it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've always been a basketball junkie. These are the best in the world. You know, I, I've loved calling professional basketball, whether it's in the NBA or, or the WNBA. It's just the pace, the speed, the, the quality of this basketball is just it's something to if you step back to just admire as a fan. But then to get one of the best seats in the house and, and watch these athletes do what they do is uh, it's truly a blessing. And I've, I've enjoyed it here so far. Yeah, Bucks fans love watching Giannis play, obviously. And, you know, watching on television, you can see all the amazing, you know, just things that he can do. He's just a different type of player. So what's that been like to be able to be, like you said, up close and be able to watch these these guys, specifically Giannis? What's what's your impression of of, of pretty much seeing Giannis in person? Well, I, I love watching him a little bit behind the scenes to start. You know, I, I love to see what kind of person he is. Um I love to see him interact with his teammates. You know, he's very fun loving. He's, he's everything that he comes across in those press conferences and, and on social media. He just, it, first of all, he's a guy that just enjoys life, you know, and, and he and his brothers and his family, I think it goes back to their story. They didn't, they didn't have a whole lot, you know, they, they grew up with very minimal resources. And so now to be a multimillionaire, um, arguably uh, one of the best in, in the league, if not the best right now, is it's an incredible story. And so to, to first and foremost, just to watch him as a person, I've enjoyed that. That's not something that I guess, you know, fans can, can always see. Um, you know, he's a game day. He's the first one in, in the gym, right? He's the first one in the arena working on his stuff, um, talking to like his shooting coach, you know, Josh Oppenheimer and, 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 and the way he tries to dissect his, his shooting form, his free throws. And the thing that I love about Giannis is like every superstar, like Michael Jordan or LeBron, there's always going to be the critics, right? You're not good at this. You're not good at that. And, and with Giannis, and I think some of the other greats in this game, he fuels off of that criticism. And, and I've seen that, you know, he puts in the time. Tell me I'm not good at my three-point shot. Cause I'm going to go work on my three point shot or tell me like I need work on my free throws or I take too long in my free throw routine and I'm, I'm going to figure it out or I'm going to adjust, I'm going to change. And that's why he's so great. And, and that's why he is one of the best and he will continue to be one of the best in the years to come. His finals performance was so epic. It's, I, I can't obviously 50 points in a closeout game to start with um, the block, the dunk, like, just even being able to play in that series after being injured, you know, and everybody thought perhaps like his run is over in the playoffs. And I don't, I can't remember. I mean, I'm sure there's been a ton of great performances in the NBA finals. There has been, but this one is so memorable. That's the way that he took the team kind of on his back. And then the 50 piece in the final game, that was, that was remarkable. Yeah. And to go 17 of 19 from the free throw right. line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But and again, you know, it's um, it's almost storybook, right? Um, to not get forty-seven, to not get thirty-five, to get to get fifty on uh, the biggest uh, the biggest game of his life, right? 
And, um, and again, like, but it's, it's the lasting image. There is this, it's actually become a gift now where he's, he's got kind of like the champagne goggles on and, and, and he walks back out into the five serve forum, you know, like pointing up in the air and doing like this little dance and everything. And that's just, I love that. That's become one of my favorite gifts. I love that gift because it's him, you know, yeah. like he just has this unbridled enthusiasm and joy for life and what he does. And to see someone succeed like that on that biggest stage um, was, was really, really awesome. And then you get to come in and be the television play-by-play announcer for the world champion NBA Milwaukee Bucks. Like how cool is it that that just the timing, what was that? What, what were you thinking when you saw that the position opened up, you applied, I'm not exactly sure how that all worked for you. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to go announce the, the world champions. Well, we knew obviously that Jim Paschke, um, and, and let me take this time real quick to just, you know, give my, my salute to Jim. He's been great. I've enjoyed talking to him. Uh, he's, he's such a humble guy and, and to put in 35 years at anything, right. And not only with, with the quality, dedication and loyalty that he did with, with the Bucks, um, being the Bucks boys for 35 years is is remarkable and admirable and um, and just awesome. But but we knew right in in the early winter, right in January, February. I can't remember when he did that interview with Giannis and said he was going to retire. So everybody knew that that job was going to be open. And so it, it was really something that I hadn't talked about uh, until my agent had talked about it. We kind of waited till the college basketball season sort of slowed down, and then it's kind of the spring where you sort of reevaluate your year and, and goals and that sort of thing. And, and we had talked about it in the spring if that was a job that I would be interested in, and and it and absolutely was. You know, I've always been a Midwest person. We knew there would actually be other NBA jobs opening up as well, and the Bucks job is the only job that we went for because I just felt like it was something that fit me. You know, if if ever you go for a job, it's fit, right? That that you have to look at first and foremost. And so I felt like the Bucks job was was my best fit. So then, uh, you know, they they went deep into the playoffs, right? And so while they're trying to win a championship, they're not going to be doing interviews or in the hiring process of their TV announcer. And so um, I was actually in a in a hotel room in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, calling the Olympics for soccer at, at, at the time, because soccer was actually soccer and softball were one of the earliest sports to begin before the opening ceremonies. So I was sitting in the hotel in the final few games of the NBA finals and, and watching it from my hotel room and, and watch, first of all, watching the fan base inside five serve forum outside, you know, the deer district and just seeing how awesome, how passionate, how enthusiastic they were. Um, and, and just, I wouldn't even let myself kind of project at that time about getting the job, uh, you know, because obviously I had the Olympics in my forefront, right? Like it was right here. And I, that was my focus at the time. Um, but there was there was a half second where I thought this would be really, really cool to be able to do because it, it just seems like everything aligns with what I align with from the fan base to being in the Midwest to the kind of franchise that they are. Um, you know, it was August when things started and uh, September when they made it official. So and then the rest is history. Wow. And then it's, it's probably felt like from August to now, it's probably felt like a couple of weeks for you. Everything's gone by so quickly. It has. I mean, yeah. I, I still like, I'll find, uh, when it was announced, um, John, uh, it was the first time where I just really got bombarded with messages and, and great messages, right. From text messages to emails, to, um, direct messages on, on social media. And, and I still sometimes find a, a text message or two. <laughs> 
<laughs> that got lost in the weeds. And so if, if that was you, I, I, you know, not you, not you, you, but just you in, in general, whoever's listening to this, if that was you, I apologize. It wasn't intentional, but it was overwhelming. It's, it's a good overwhelming, you know, cause everyone is, is excited for you. Um, and they wanted to reach out and, and, you know, just extend their congratulations and everything, but, uh, I, I'm still kind of playing catch up. All right. You said this was a good fit for you. You mentioned maybe the location, the Midwest location. Why was this job such a good fit for you in your opinion? Well, it's, yeah, it starts with the Bucks organization first and foremost, you know, when, when I start to get to know them um, during the interviewing process, I, I began to think like, this is, this is a company, this is a franchise. This is a team that I, I definitely could work for. You know, they, they're everything that the Midwest and Milwaukee and Wisconsin is about. And that's hardworking blue collar. We don't take shortcuts. Um, you, you look at, let, let just start with the personalities of the players on the team. You know, um, GM John Horse has been very intentional about who he brings in and, and who, and maybe more importantly, who he doesn't bring in. And everybody kind of fits, right? And, and you fit this mold. You have to be talented, obviously, first and foremost, but you fit this mold about, you know, you just grind and, and you work and, and you do it the right way. Um, and like I said, you don't cut corners. And, and so as I'm getting involved in this process and getting to know these people and doing my own homework, um, that's what I mean about the fit, you know, like, cause, cause that's how I've gone about, you know, my career and, and everything that I've been taught from my parents when I was really young, that that's how I go about things. And so I just aligned with them really easily. So where did your love of broadcasting start? Because you were a, a basketball player and a soccer player at Northwestern. So when did the broadcasting element uh, kind of factor into to, to your life? When I kind of came into reality that I couldn't play basketball and soccer for the rest of my life. There was, <laughs> okay. a, there was a long period of my life where I really thought that I was going to be able to play sports the rest of my life. So I was like 67 years old. Um, so it really was like college where, where you think, okay, you know, there's going to be limitations to this and, and what do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to stay involved in sports in some way. And so um, I honestly, John, I, I grew up watching um, ESPN like everybody did, I think, and, and watching SportsCenter. And when I was a kid, kind of growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, um, I would sit down, I would wake up, I would eat my cereal and I would watch SportsCenter in the morning. And so I just wanted to be kind of the SportsCenter anchor. Like that was that was the early kind of TV goal as I got into it. I was in local news for the first 12 years. Um, I worked in small markets, small television markets. My first market was in Alpena, Michigan. And then the second market was Lansing, Michigan. So a college town there. And then Big Ten Network began in, in 2007. At the time I was in Lansing, Michigan, I was at the right place at the right time. They were looking for, I think, um, talent, TV talent at the time. And, and I was in a Big Ten city. And so, um, so that marriage kind of happened. And then away we went, you know, um, the Big Ten Network really was the first ones to hire me as a play-by-play, uh, hire me as a sideline reporter, hire me as kind of like a studio host. Those were all jobs that I had never had before. And so sometimes it's opening up opportunities or, or someone else seeing maybe something in you before you do. And, and I think that's kind of how I navigated my, my early TV career. So that's interesting. So how did that transition go from being someone who, you know, a, a reporter, a, a a news reporter, an anchor, and then all of a sudden you're doing play-by-play. Like, did you did you have any experience doing it before? And, and what was that like the first time you did it? 
I hadn't had any experience. In fact, I remember I was I was working at my my Lansing station, um, the CBS affiliate in Lansing, and I we have to shoot our own stuff. We have to one I call it one person band, you know, where you put the camera on your shoulder and you're doing interviews. So, you know, you hold the microphone in your other hand. And that's what I was doing. I was actually walking into the camera room. Um, I think I was going on like a high school football shoot and um, and my phone went off and it was one of my bosses at Big Ten Network. And he said, look, we were juggling around schedules. Uh, we have this play-by-play opening for a women's basketball game. It's Michigan State and Indiana, and I know it's last minute. Would you just be interested in, in entertaining doing play-by-play? And I said, yeah, sure. How different can it be than being a sports anchor on the weekends? And he said, oh, actually, like considerably different. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so John, you know, I, I joked with you um, earlier about being the, the athlete who always felt like she could play the rest of her life. So, because of that, when I watched games, I always watched games as the athlete. Like I watched the athletes. I never paid attention to the broadcasters. And so when I said yes to that first play-by-play opportunity, I honestly did not understand what the job was about, um, what would make a good play-by-play versus yeah. not so good play-by-play. And so it was definitely a learning process. When I, when I got done with that game, I knew I was awful. But <laughs> I had liked it enough. I had liked it enough that, that that began the shift for me where when I watched the game now, all of a sudden I was watching with the and listening with the ear of a broadcaster. So now I was I was listening to play by plays, like what makes them good? What what how do they handle this situation? How do they tee up their analysts? How are they navigating through storylines? What's their big moment call? You know, like it, it's all of that stuff that all of a sudden that that sparked my interest enough that I started listening and paying attention with a different eye and a different ear. Wow. That's pretty interesting to go from not doing it at all to now going to the NBA and being the Bucks television play-by-play announcer. That's a remarkable, remarkable journey for you, Lisa. So, so how did you develop your style then if from not doing it at all, like what, what announcers or, you know, were you looking up to or, or kind of, you know, studying as, as you, as you learned that craft. Everyone, literally everyone. And, um, you know, there's, there's definitely been some people in this industry who, um, who have helped me along the way, but, you know, I, I appreciate those, um, who are versatile first and foremost, you know, cause I had to be versatile. I've had to hop between different sports with different analysts. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're working with, if, even if you're doing the same sport, um, if I'm doing basketball, like in, in the college world, like sometimes you're working with three or four analysts, if you're doing three or four games a week. Sometimes you're working with three or four different analysts that week. So the versatility, the understanding, first and foremost, in TV of um, who your analyst is. You know, John, I think you can appreciate this. Radio, I believe it's the play-by-play sport, and TV is more of an analyst sport. So you really want the analyst to shine. And I think that's first and foremost that I had to understand as a TV play-by-play. How can I make the, the broadcast better? Well, you make the broadcast better. Um, by, by really kind of leaning into the strengths of your analyst. Um, you know, I, I have a reporter's heart because that's how I started in this business. So um, I, I'm curious, you know, I, I go about games, not just with the curiosity of who the players and the coaches are, but actually a curiosity of what's going to happen in every play. Like I try to remind myself, um, be amazed, be, um, be impressed, 
um, question what's going to happen next, you know, because then in that way, everything is fresh and new and, and it's unique. And then you're amazed almost by everything that happens um, throughout the game. So it's that it's that curiosity, I think, with a reporter's heart that I try to approach every game now with a play by play voice. Taking notes, curiosity. I'm going to take <laughs> notes. I'm going to try to view my next broadcast a little different. Uh, do you have a favorite announcer? I have several and I hate this question, John, because I, I know I'm going to like leave people out. And so I never like to, to name names because they all know who they are. And then they'll listen to this podcast and I'll leave one person out and they'll think, well, you know, I did this for Lisa and how could she, you know, so, right, right. um, but again, it's men, it's women. Um, it's people who have been in the business for, you know, 30 plus years. It's, it's people who have been in the business as long as I have. And um, here's what I'll say is if you find someone in the industry who is, um, will give you good, honest feedback, you know, never let them go. Whether it's a producer, I've had producers in my life who are that way. I've had fellow like, you know, announcers who are that way. Um, but, but find that person who will tell you, you could be better in this way. Um, instead of, Hey, you did a great job or, Hey, that was really good broadcast, uh, because you don't get better in that way. And, and maybe that's the former athlete in me. I'm always looking to improve and get better and listen to some of the hard things, you know, and the constructive criticism and, and the people in this business. And like I said, they, they know who they are, um, who have who worked with me. Uh, I just appreciate, you know, all of them and, and, uh, and being honest, right. And being honest and supportive. Yeah. What do you find is the toughest part of being a play-by-play announcer? Mm, gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's, I think it's just trying to help shape the moment, but not be the moment, you know, and, and finding that balance and that tap dance between the two. It's um, some of the best play-by-play moments are when you don't say anything. And it's, it's trying to figure out when those moments come, um, trying to find out the, the right words, right, to, to help shape a moment. And, and, and it's all of that. Um, but, you know, football, for example, is I think it's the, it's the most challenging thing I've done because there are so many pieces. And I don't think people realize that a, a play-by-play juggles a lot. Yeah. And, and with football, you know, as an example – you have a spotter next to you. You have a statistician next to you. You have your analyst. You get your headset on. So you got your producer talking to you. Um, and, and you're like a mile high from the action, you know? So, so you're juggling all this stuff. Oh, I forgot about the stage manager who's handing you promos and everything. And, and so it's, it's, it's juggling a lot. I think a lot of people think, well, they're sitting on the couch, you know, with, with an adult beverage perhaps and, and some chips or something watching the game. And they think, I think that the announcers are doing the exact same thing, like no distractions. Um, everything's in front of them. And, and that's not the case. You know, sometimes you have technical problems. You can't hear your analyst, your analyst can't hear you, or you can't hear your producer. Or like I said, there's a thousand things that people are trying to shove in front of you where it's cool stat or a promo or whatever. You're trying to listen to your analyst, your producers yapping in your ear. And so it's, it's kind of handling all that. That's one of the behind the scenes things I think that people don't realize about the job. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So when I do the radio, I don't have anybody talking in my ear aside from, you know, during a break. So I, I don't have to deal with that. And I find it hard enough sometimes just to find the right words. Like, I feel like sometimes my brain's like, I listen back and it sounds fine, but my brain's like, what are you going to say? Like, it gets really like jumbled in there sometimes, but I don't know how 
TV people do that. I don't know how you can have someone talking to you and then you try to say what you're trying to say. Like to me, I would just pause and like, listen, I can't do those two things. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Seriously? Cause for yeah, some well, people that's used to it. you get used to it. <laughs> I, I don't want to paint the picture that it happens during the whole broadcast. Right. Right. You know? right. Like, yeah. When you're going to break and and you're talking about, you know, look at Giannis with the, you know, the the drive baseline and in your ear, you're hearing 10, 9, 8, because they're counting you down to break, you know? And so you got to you got to put together like a, a really coherent, you know, phrase about talking about what you just saw with Giannis taking a baseline for the slam. And you have like basically eight seconds to do it because, you know, you got to get out before one, because if you don't get out before one, your audio is going to get clipped going to the commercial break. So it's a lot of going to commercials, coming back. Um, You know, there are some times like in game where they're talking about just replays that they show and and they're telling you what's coming up. So I don't want to paint the picture that's the entire broadcast, but you certainly you get used to it. You know, Um, it just becomes actually it just becomes part of the job. Yeah. But even still, like, even if it is I, the countdown thing, I think I could handle. Um, but just like somebody talking to you during a replay and then someone's handing you something and you're trying to, you know, look at the field or look at a monitor, like you're right. There's a lot of stuff going on when you're, when you're a, a TV person. Um, so then with all that, you know, what makes a good broadcast in your opinion, what, when you, when you go home or, you know, maybe you, you watch a, a broadcast back, what is it that you go, Oh, that was a good one. I think if you if you teach a few things okay. to the viewer and if 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 you can entertain the viewer as well. Um, and you know what, maybe I don't know, maybe in that order, teach first, entertain second. Um, you know, I, some of the best broadcasts are when you at least for me personally, when you take off the headset and, and you look at your analyst and and they say that was fun, you know, because quite honestly, like if, if you're having fun doing the broadcast, then then probably a majority of the people watching are also enjoying it and having fun. And let's be honest, you know, we broadcast sports and <laughs> it is supposed to be people's releases, right? Like fans release and viewers releases from kind of the real world. They just they want to be entertained. They want to have fun. And it's not all about like jokes and comedy and all that stuff, but, um, but there, there's a time to insert that and there's a time to teach and, and then there's a, there's a time to talk strategy, you know? Um, so if you, if you have the, the luxury and capability to be able to incorporate all those things to me, I, I think that's been the most successful broadcast I've been a part of. Okay. So we know what it's kind of like during a broadcast what is the preparation leading to a broadcast for you? Can you kind of fill our listeners in here on like the amount of time and, and kind of what your, you know, your days are like leading up to, to one broadcast? Yeah. It, well, it, quite honestly, John, it depends on the sport, you know, okay. like football, I, I brought up college football and that's a completely different animal. I mean, I literally in a week could spend anywhere from 30 to 40 hours just preparing for a football game with, with the amount of players you have to know and the storylines and, and, and all of that stuff it is, it is massive when you're talking about prep. And so that is an animal in itself um, with a new job like this. And, and, and I have actually, you know, I've, I've worked in the NBA before and obviously follow the NBA, but to, to do it now with the kind of care and detail that you need 
in terms of being a, a team announcer. It's it's a lot of focus. I try to I try to go to practices with the Bucks and 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 talk to as many people as I can and, and do some analytics on that side. But it's it's also just you have to create your own boards now for for the opponents. I've got my Bucks stuff done. But um, as we get to new opponents, it'll get easier as we get repeat opponents, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's crafting that, that what we call broadcast board, which is really a chart where you've got names and stats and, and bio stuff. And so that'll take a few hours for me every game is, is to construct kind of that opposing broadcast board and get it to the, the way I want it to be. Um, like I said, when we get into like repeat opponents and stuff, when I have all that and the shells done and everything, um, it'll be really fun because me as being like the basketball nerd and the basketball junkie, then we'll have time that part of the prep then will become actually going into several layers and maybe getting into some analytic rabbit holes and, and trying to figure out, you know, like, um, you know, Giannis's jump shot, how effective he is this year versus in years past, like all that kind of stuff that you can kind of dive into. That's, that's kind of fun for the basketball junkie. Yeah. I, that's one of my favorite parts, uh, in college women's basketball season or in the volleyball season is kind of when you get that repeat opponent, that second half of the schedule, <laughs> and it's a little less taxing as you prepare for, for a game or a match. That's, that's one of my favorite parts of, uh, you know, already, I already got that done. I'm a step ahead of the game already. Um, is there a favorite game that you've called? Yeah. It, well, I have to go back to the NCAA tournament this past March. Um, mm. So we had two, we did five games. Uh, Steve Smith was the analyst who I worked with. And um, our last two games actually were our best ones. Um, Abilene Christian upset Texas and Oral Roberts upset Florida. And um, so I love them both. And, and they both were so fun to do, but I, I think it was, the Abilene Christian Texas game, it was Saturday night. And so it was a really late tip, like all the games, you know, in the tournament get pushed back, right? It was supposed to be like a, I don't know, like a 10 o'clock Eastern tip. It ended up being like a 1020 or 1030. And so, um, so I think actually this game was one of the last ones, you know, when that happens in the NCAA tournament, like you've got those, those last games, right. Where that's the only thing that's on TV. And, uh, and so anyhow, it was, it was, it was the greatest matchup because in Texas, it literally was a David versus Goliath thing. You know, Abilene Christian, um, was really only D one for, for a few years and here they're taking on arguably like the school in the state of Texas. And, um, and so it, you know, it's, it's close the whole way. And we're thinking, are they going to be able to pull it out? Um, when Abilene Christian, when the final horn went off, um, you know, I made my call and then I literally like took my two hands and I, I pushed myself away from the broadcast table. And I just, what we call in the business laid out and I didn't say anything. And Steve Smith didn't say anything. And, and it was just such a, it was such a great moment to just soak it all in because there had been so much buildup about giving a, a woman the, the play-by-play opportunity for an NCAA tournament. And, and you know, the NCAA tournament is built on upsets and, last second shots. And so you're always wondering, A, am I going to get one of those games? And B, if I get one of those moments, can I handle it? And so I thought at that time that I had handled that moment, like it came, um, you know, I, I, I was able to embrace it and handle it and then enjoy it. And so that was the enjoying part was me taking my two hands and pushing away from the table and, uh, and just soaking it in and, and thinking, um, this is it, you know, like, like we all did it and this is awesome. And so that's why it still is one of my favorites. 
that's cool. That's a cool feeling when like uh, 2013 Badger women's uh, volleyball, Badger volleyball beat Texas in the final four, really unexpected um, for them to even get to that point. So they're going to play for a national championship. I remember being so like nervous for them. And then as, as they're getting close, I'm like, oh crap, this is a really big upset. Like I can't, I can't fumble this. I can't, I can't mess this up. And and luckily I, I, I think, um, I think I did pretty well on the final call of that. And it's something that I'm always going to remember. And I just remember being so nervous for it, not only for them, like, like, oh my gosh, I hope they win because I was, you know, obviously I still am a, a fan of the team, but also like, oh man, I, they may never get here again. I can't, I can't blow this call. Do you ever, do you ever kind of get that? feeling then like well, it was in that game i mean yeah, Abilene like, Christian yeah. had, like barely was a, a division one school they had zero wins in the ncaa tournament it's by far in any sport it's the biggest win in school history and so <laughs> literally um when we left when we were leaving the game we were walking back up the stairs and um and we ran into the abilene christian radio crew and they literally said that like your call now will live forever and Abilene Christian history, you know, and, um, and, and, and it, like, I, I think I had the moment that you had, you were like, okay, you know, like it's, it's true, but, um, whether you like it or not, you know, your voice is a piece of history at that moment. Right. What do you think of this trend of putting cameras on announcers, play-by-play announcers for these big moments? Like, did you have a camera on you for that moment? And what do you think, you know what I'm talking about where they yeah, put the camera yeah, on the yeah. announcer? Uh, well, you know, I don't think the camera is there for those moments. I think the camera is there for some on cameras. And I actually know of some TV producers where uh, they call it like a snoop camera because it's uh, kind of like Zoom, right? You can see the person's face. And so when a producer is communicating with you in the truck and and they don't see your reaction or they don't see if you're listening to them, you're doing something else or someone's talking to you, you know, they can actually see you on camera. And so I I think a lot of it is strategic for that. Um, the the GoPros for the on cameras or the, or the producer communication, right? So they can see you. Um, you know, there was a camera. Uh, if there was a if there was any video of my reaction, I haven't seen it yet. Let's just put it that way. Uh, there was a camera over there, and uh, it was our on camera. It was actually it wasn't like a a smaller GoPro camera. It was actually a, a, a real TV camera that they had stationary back there for some of our on cameras. So I don't know if it was hot or if it was recording, but um, that would be the only, the only option, which I haven't seen. So I'm, I'm guessing that, that there's no visual evidence of that, but that's okay. It's, it's completely clear in my mind what it felt like and looked like. Uh, very cool. Uh, I see also from your website that you wrote, you were taught to never say no to a job. Where did that get instilled to you? Um, and, you know, can you talk a little bit about, about that, that concept? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's more like opportunity. Um, yeah. I haven't known to jobs before, but, <laughs> but you want to, you want to make sure that it's a good opportunity. And, 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 and for this very reason, um, you know, like it, it, one, yes, opens up the door to another opportunity and that that door could lead to another room and another room and another room. And, and if you never say yes, if you think I'm not ready for this job or uh, I, I don't have a lot of experience here or I don't know if it's anything that I'm really interested in, um, you really kind of lose out on on the experience and you might lose out on future opportunities. Right. If I had never said if I had said no while I was walking into that camera room of, of the first play-by-play opportunity that kind of 
came to me, um, you know, I, I would have missed out on, on so many great professional opportunities and, and never would be sitting where I'm at right now. So, so you take the leap and sometimes you realize that you don't like something. And, and that's actually as valuable as finding out the things that you do like. Um, but you will never know if you play it safe and you just constantly say no to some of the opportunities that come your way. Um, you have to be open-minded and, and say yes and then see where it takes you. And it takes you to the Milwaukee Bucks. What was your reaction, by the way, when you got the job? What was your reaction? Were you just, did you go out and celebrate or what'd you do? Well, I was actually broadcasting a college football game. <laughs> did you yeah, get a text or what's going on? How'd you, what's, what's, well, what's that story? Uh, yeah, my agent, I, I, we knew that it was close and my agent starts calling me and, and I was on the air and it was a night football game. So it was like a Saturday night. And, um, and so I'm thinking, well, this is weird. Like he knows I'm on the air. And, and so I didn't take the call cause I was broadcasting. So that would have been strange if I did that. Um, but so then he texted me and I actually was wearing a, a green, um, on air blazer and, um, just ironically. And so, um, so he texted me basically a Giannis gif and, and it said, it's a good thing that you're wearing green. And so, um, and so that's how I found out. Wow. Was, um, in the middle of broadcasting a game while wearing a green blazer and, and my agent congratulated me in that way. So I always just say green is now my lucky color. <laughs> I, was, I was wearing a dark green blazer um, at the time that I found out I got the job. That's, that's pretty cool. Probably hard to concentrate on the rest of the game a little bit. <laughs> yeah. you know, like- I don't even remember it. It's funny because I think it was in the second quarter, but I don't know. Everything is like such a blur now. You know, everybody asks me that, like, at what point in the game did you find out? And I'm, and I can't even remember. So, I mean, obviously you've been traveling a lot uh, all over the country. Like you said, you were doing a college football game when you got the news about the Bucks. Do you think this NBA travel schedule, like, what do you think of that schedule? Is it going to be any different for you? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had this conversation uh, with someone else who had been in the NBA before, had been a coach, and, and they said, you know, it's a grind. And and I said, well, it is, but, um, you know, I've already experienced a different kind of grind, you know, like, um, and John, you know, like, like we would do, in, in, at least when you're covering college stuff, you're doing sometimes two to three different sports in a season, you know, so you're, so your attention is, is distracted, is diverted in that way. Um, there's so many different sports, so many different players. Um, you know, in, in basketball, I would do both men's and women's, which is different. You know, you got to follow like both sports. Um, I was doing probably anywhere from three to four games a week anyhow, you know, and um, but I was I was working on booking my own travel. I was flying commercial. I was chasing down rental cars. I would have to check in myself at the hotels and make sure that everything was in order with that, you know? And so that's a different kind of grind. And that has been my traveling life most recently. Um, So to have the NBA world and to have people plan it for you and to hop on these team charters, and to literally have buses planned for you. So you don't even have to drive anywhere. You don't have to, you can throw the rental car thing out of the way. In fact, John, you don't even have to check into the front desk hotel because you literally, as you get to the hotel, there's someone standing there with the key that they're handing you, you know? And so it's a grind either way, right? And, and I'm used to a grind one way. Um, and, and this grind will be different, but 
I'm telling you what, with the travel stuff, they make it easy. So, so this kind of grind is probably going to be a lot more preferable than the one that I have known. Yeah, you got it. It, it almost, in a way, got a little easier for you. Like you got rid of some of the the work. Well, you still have. Yeah, it's it's a great point. Like you still have kind of the game volume, right? Because I would do a lot of games. Um, so you still have the game volume. But you don't have the travel stress like that. The travel stress has totally been eliminated from the grind. And so, yeah, so, so that's definitely very nice. That's cool. Hey, so did you talk, uh, have you talked to Giannis yet? I mean, I'm sure you have. What did, what did Giannis say to you? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, he, he, I met him at first at media day. I was trying to think of when I first met him, I met him at media day, but everybody wants a piece of him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we haven't had like a long in-depth conversation. Um, I, I don't think the TV announcer is immediately on his mind right now. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no. had, so, so it began with my first conversation with him was at media day. And then, you know, I've seen him on the road and in different shoot arounds and stuff. So, um, not anything super meaningful yet, just a little bit of basketball talk here and there. And, and that's fine because that's, that's the way I would want it, you know, yeah. um, I kind of want to be in the background. I don't want to get in their way. Um, I want to observe them first. Um, I want to be seen and and not heard as much around the team right now. And, and especially in these first few months, you know, I just kind of want to be a fly on the wall. And so I, I've kind of stayed in the background as much as I can and, and not trying to make myself, um, you know, more important than what I am. So I, I'm just the, I'm, I'm the TV announcer, but certainly they are, they are the most important pieces and it's my job to, job to kind of observe them and, and get to know them in that way. I'm so excited for this relationship, by the way, because you know how fun of a time Giannis had with Paschke, you know, he had the t-shirt there that he wore, I think after they won the championship too, right? Uh, at the podium. Yeah. 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 So I'm and excited really, for this. Yeah. Um, yeah, before I even, uh, you know, even thoughts of, of this job for me uh, evolved, um, you know, Giannis's interview with Jim on Twitter popped up on my Twitter feed. And, and I watched the whole thing immediately when it popped up. I was thinking, what is this? And, and I just thought it was awesome and, and so genuine to have your superstar um, have that kind of care for someone who wasn't like his, his direct teammate, so to speak, you know, or his head coach. And, and that's who Giannis is, you know, he's a very caring individual. And, um, and I just thought that the whole interview was just so genuine and you're right. Giannis wore a, a t-shirt that said, I love Jim, you know, as kind of his, his final salute after he won the championship. And then Jim returned the favor, uh, when they got their ring ceremony. So the, the season opener against the Nets, um, Jim, and I, I just loved it that, that he was, he got the chance to be the MC you know, for, for the whole crowd at five surf forum. And so he was wearing a t-shirt that was covered up by his blazer. But then when Giannis came out to get his ring, you know, he takes off the blazer and he returned the favor with a t-shirt that had, um, you know, a similar, similar caricature. And it just said, I love Giannis. And so they gave like a great embrace. And, and I know Jim wasn't able to be there for like the parade or, or any of the, the post celebrations after they won the championship. So that was kind of Jim's Jim's time. And, and it was, it was awesome. It was awesome to see. So um, not many superstars take that kind of care for people. No. Uh, final few questions for you, Lisa. I have to ask you, do you like the label 
as the first female to become the full-time TV voice? Because I've heard and I've read some things about what you've had to say about that. So do you like that label? No, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, but I understand that it's necessary uh, to to get where we need to go. You know, um, I, I don't like any of the I don't like any labels that have first and female associated with them. You know, like I don't put on my headset, John, and, and think I'm female announcer today. Like I just I think I'm a broadcaster. I'm an announcer. And, and I hope someday, you know, I, I've used the phrase of, of background noise, right? Like, I, I hope that a female voice on a men's game becomes background noise, that we stop trying to figure out who's that female announcer, when we stop trying to, to figure out, well, that sounds different because there's a woman doing the game. Um, when we get to that point, then I know that we've arrived. And, and it, to arrive, we have to have those headlines first, um, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, I, if you notice at the start, when I introduced you, I specifically left out female announcer because I heard you say that and I thought, okay, well, if that's the way she wants it, then I think that's the way that most people should kind of approach it. You know, and, and it's funny you say that, John, because we are, I don't know, 50 minutes in, right? And it's just the first question that you've asked me about it. And the day that it was announced, I did, I can't even tell you how many interviews I have done from, from radio to print to TV to podcasts and um, asked me how many basketball questions I got during those interviews. And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is zero. You know, I, I got zero. What do you think of the Bucks, you know, team and, and trying to repeat? Uh, what do you think of the NBA? Who are you, you know, like I got none of those questions. Um, it was all about gender. It was all about being the first. And, and I understand why. Um, but I, I've always said that I, I get it. But if, if we're asking those same questions like a month from now or five years from now or 10 years from now, then that's where we have the, the real problem. You know, it's 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 new. It's different. And I get it. Um, but hopefully it won't be so new and different in the near future. Very cool. I think we could end it just like that. Well said, Lisa Byington. I thank you so much for your time today. Um, and we'll do it again sometime. That sounds great, John. Thank you.